Gaming and BS episode 144. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you aboard, as always. Yeah. Well, dude, it's like practically by the time this drops, it will be Origins Eve. This drops on Tuesday and Wednesday. Origins gets rolling, so that will be really cool. I will be in Origins. I'm uh, looking at the weather report, and I might, if I was originally thinking I'm going to take the bike down, I'll follow Kevin and Wayne and the boys in the car. It'll be a great ride. And I'm looking like severe thunderstorms, 90% chance of, you know, rainy death. So maybe I won't take the bike. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how I ride. But anyway, regardless, I'm going to get down there. It'll be fun. Do you like um, pina coladas? And getting caught in the rain. Getting there. caught right. in the rain. Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, game hole submissions are up and uh, available, as you guys heard from when we had Alex Cameron on the show, if you're intru- interested. Um, I think VIGs are open, too, if if people had those and haven't renewed them, that probably, you know, should, I think that'll be done and gone by the time this drops. So forget I said anything. I think that's already over. Or, I don't know if it opened today. I think it may open today as of recording of June 11th. It may have. But anyhow, that announcement went out. <clears throat> um, if you need to get submissions in for games like Sean and I probably still do, uh, get that going. If you want to run stuff for the kids uh, track, as Alex talked to us about, do that as well. Get in there and do that. I think I'm going to definitely do that. Run a game for some kids. It'll be fun. Uh, so have you submitted, <laughs> I ask you this every week, have you submitted your events yet? No, I have not. Have you submitted yours? No, I haven't. That's why I asked. Ooh, we suck ass. Anyway, I, I got my, I got my, I got my write-ups done. And, uh, I did find out that Dave Beatty is planning to show up to, um, the game hole con this year. So that means two things. Happy salmon. And I'm going to have to run a game of Wraith. So I got to get a Wraith game put out there. So. Ooh, yeah. little uh, old school out of print world of darkness action. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Uh, I want to thank Ken Newquist for listening to us in Knights of the Dinner Table epi- uh, uh, issue. Issue. God damn. Number 244. Uh, and thanks to Roger Braslett for pointing that out. I mean, I would have not have known, but there was a little section where Kenneth was nice enough to list this as, as a podcast. Um, great super that was really cool roger said hey guys one more you know one more piece of fame for you i'm like holy shit we're in print somewhere i mean we, we were very fortunate that we got in on the uh our podcast where we did the uh, our shit's our episode with uh with jen brinkman on dcc is yeah. in the back of the fourth edition of not fourth edition excuse me fourth printing fourth printing of the dcc core book which was really cool and then this happened that's really neat that's very very cool Yes, so that was very nice. And so uh, if you do not know what Knights of the Dinner Table is, go to Google, put it in there, and maybe uh, pick up a few issues. Um, it's fun. It is. I mean, Jolly Blackburn, it's it's a damn good. It's damn good. If you get and then if you like what you it. read, go to Facebook and then friend Jolly Blackburn. He's pretty open to connecting with people. Yeah, he's a good guy. I uh, also want to thanks uh, thanks to Ray Otis, uh, patron of the show, for the copy of Plundergrounds that he's provided oh, yes. us. Yes, very um, cool looking stuff. He did not have to do that, but thank you so much for Ray for doing that. And then, if you are interested in Plundergrounds, which is a a kind of zine that he does for Dungeon World, 
Um, go ahead and check out his patron. We'll have a link in the show notes where you can go and support Ray and his venture there. It is really cool. I mean, looking at the stuff that he's, that he sent to Sean and I just to peruse, it's really good. And Ray does great work. So, hey, throw some love to Ray. And speaking of kind of that old school flavor, um, the OSR Encounter Contest is over. We've got the all the submissions that that wrapped up. <coughs> Excuse me, I probably should have mentioned something last time. Anyhow, we're done. Um, Sean, I, and Jason Hobbs of Hobbs and Friends of the OSR are currently reading and reviewing, and we will be making our final decisions within the next week or two, and then we'll do the announcement. I didn't see one that was Orc and Pie. So I think it's been, I think it's been done. You know. I do believe we, I think there may have been one joke entry, which was like, you walk into a room, there's a rat and an orc, or something like that. Oh, something. yeah. That, yeah. There's a giant spider and an ogre. Done. Moving on. It's like a rat, an orc, and a blah, walk into a bar. So yeah. I don't even know. Could have been. Anyways, let's get into Random Encounter. Let's do it. Right. Random Encounter. Right, you want me to go? You want to go? I started off the last one. You do this one. Dang it. All right. mine. It's my notes, so it's probably a little more clear to me. So regarding the Kids at Cons uh, episode that we recorded with Alex prior to this one, Carlin of the Hill people, Kendrick, um, uh, lets us know about, speaking of kids games, I'm excited about, uh, I'm waiting for the Magical Land of Yeld uh, to finally be released. The mechanics are easy for first-time kid gamers, and the setting pretty wonderful. I don't know what state production is in now, but the developers regularly post and do live chats. Uh, so it was kickstarted. I'm only assuming that it is fulfilled and well, it's met its goals and is in production now. So be on the lookout for the magical land of Yeld coming down the road. If you want to uh, pitch that at some kids of your own or a club that you may run and be involved with. Uh, I'll continue to sum this up. Matt Bonehoff, he was the individual that had let us know that he was doing a club that was similar to my idea. Uh, good episode in addition to my middle school RPG club that uh, he's talked with me about before. He says, I'm setting up RPG programs at three local libraries, all with the end goal of getting more kids at my local convention, New Mexican. That is awesome. Man, that is no small feat. That takes some time and some effort, man. Good for Matt. Jeez. Yeah, so that's three local library events and a middle school RPG club that he's got going. So, damn, Bonhoff, you're kicking ass, man. Yeah, very well done. Thanks for doing that, getting kids into the hobby. You could use some fresh blood for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, okay, next up, Walt emailed us and said, Hey, Brett and Sean, over the weekend I ran a 5e adventure for a group of friends. The party is made up of seven third-level characters. Two barbarians, one paladin, one rogue, one druid, one monk, and a cleric slash sorcerer. I'm pretty new to DM to the DM's chair, and this was the biggest party I'd ever run a game for. Since I've been listening to you guys for more than a year, now I went to the session armed with several tips and tricks. Thanks to you guys, you're brilliant listeners. The story was solid, and the role play went pretty well. The problem I had was combat. While preparing the adventure, I used Cobalt Fight Club to engage difficult to gauge difficulty. Uh, the results said that this should be a hard encounter which is just what I wanted for a low-level party. Challenging, but not deadly. Unfortunately, we were actually uh, when we were actually at the table, the party breezed right through the bad guys. When talking to the players after we finished playing, they said they had fun, but the general consensus was the fight seemed to need to be a little more challenging. Admittedly, there were some horrible roles on my part, but I feel that I could have done a better job running the baddies. 
Warning if you guys have any suggestions that would help me get better at tactical combat. What books, websites, videos, etc. would you recommend? Looking forward to hearing your insights. Thanks, Walt. Well, I'll tell you, Walt, I had, back when I was running 3.0 and 3.5 D&D, I had one group I was running for, a group of guys I worked with, and their mastery of the tactical situation was such that, I've told you on this before, that if it was supposed to be, like a CR4 was supposed to be good for them, if I didn't throw a CR7 at them, they destroyed it. Two CRs, three CRs higher, if it wasn't at least that, they would tactically overwhelm me because they were just better at those tactical components than I was. So that's a thing you could, again, looking, you know, doing the hindsight thing, Walt, look back and say, did they do things that you didn't expect? Were they, did they beat you at your own game? I mean, for, you I mean, be honest with them and say, hey, man, they, they freaking outfought me. That, that happens. You know, sometimes they do tactical things, which are just better thought than what, what we as DMs come up with. Um, but otherwise, I think this is definitely something to throw in the uh, idea hopper. So that'll go in there. Sean, do you have any immediate tips or tricks for Walt? Will I add this one to the hopper? No, but I empathize um, with Walt because I have run into that myself where – and that's the weird thing about some of these encounters in any role-playing game is – well, not maybe all of them because some of the OSR folks will just throw whatever they want at you because there isn't any game balance and that's okay and that's what they kind of – that's kind of their game. That's the game that, that they roll with. But having said that, you know, some players don't know, even in those situations, when to run or not. And then with the games that have CR and you kind of try to tune it to the power of the party, they're either going to get, I mean, obviously there's three outcomes. They're either going to get smoked like nobody's business. They're going to just whoop up on all your NPCs and baddies like nobody's business. Or it'll be a close fight. That's obvious. I mean, that's a no brainer. I'm call me Captain Obvious. But I I always have time uh, trouble with that too, and trying to make sure because sometimes you don't consider how to tackle the problem at hand, and especially if you have one baddie and you have a party of five members, I mean they're getting five attacks to your one, maybe your two, and so they're just going to whittle down the baddie. So if you could throw some plebes at them to kind of preoccupy them, we could talk about it in another episode. But there's a few things that you could do to. Make it a little bit more challenging. Generally speaking, that if you have, if you were a general and you're a and you were dealing with you know all right, there's my tactical brain against this other individual's tactical brain. It's one on one, head to head, mano y mano. Let's see how this goes. And then you sit behind the screen and go, "Wow, there's Sean, there's Ange, there's Chris, there's Kevin, and oh wow, here's the new guy who turns out to be a fucking savant of you know Legend of the Five Rings or whatever. He's just he knows all this stuff. He's read everything." He's just, you know, oh my God. He not only knows the setting, but he knows how to pl- know those rules better than everybody else. It's one brain against many. And sometimes that can be a detriment. And there are, I think there's some things that Sean and I can talk about in an upcoming episode to maybe throw some ideas out there. But in the meantime, if any listeners have some stuff that they'd like us to mention in that in said upcoming episode, feel free to pass it over to Sean and I, and uh, we'll include it in our tips and tricks. Cool. <laughs> Tony Baker throws out a suggestion. Uh, Topic suggestions for player series. One, how to make a character in a game with no classes. He is the second person to request that. I think this merits a discussion as players new to this style of game often have difficulties forming a concept. Yep, sometimes the boxes of class systems is not always a bad thing. 
Um, so yes, he's talking about more of the generic based role playing game systems. So we'll have to include that in the player series. Number two, as players, how to ask the right questions. I find that in games I play in, I often serve as a translator between the other players and the GM to help enable the players to get their point across. Uh, this comes fairly natural to me, but I think it can be more of a challenge for other players. An example that he points out would be um, in the discussion with Mr. Shorb, I think was in that thread. Rather than saying, I want to roll knowledge history and getting back whatever the GM thinks you want to know, you could say, I want to try to figure out if, if it could be one of the ancient evil kings that could be behind this or if there is a history of dark magic. What do I need to do to figure that out? Um, that's a good, yeah, that's good stuff. So I understand what you're talking about. So sometimes there's communication issues between the player and the game master or the way you're going, Tony, is instead of just like rolling a check and then the GM spurts their information based on that check you are looking for specific information and then how does that translate into how the game master interprets any type of ruling uh, that's behind it. It's so kind of that, a, it's kind of a melding of the OSR approach of <clears throat> rulings, not rules, ask a lot of questions because you don't have a definitive list of skills. Uh, and when I say that I'm talking like first edition AD and D for example, because we're using fantasy here um, or even red box, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Anyhow. So instead of saying, Hey, I want to, I'm going to roll history to see what I can figure out. This example from Tony is solid, right? I want to figure, I want to figure out this thing and determine if it's a or B, how do I do that? Or what should I do to, to make that happen? Or I want to figure out if it's, as you said, one of the ancient evil Kings or history of dark magic, I'm thinking we use my history to do that. What do you think, Sean? And then have the game master and you figure out what makes the most sense. Asking that question helps. Um, I have found when my players do it to me is they're looking for something very specific. And when they don't ask for it, I ask them to get specific because otherwise they'll say, I'm going to roll history to see if I can figure anything out. I'm like, um, sure. It's old. Right. What the fuck are you trying to do here, dude? So getting the players to ask specific questions like, look, I want to figure out this thing. Oh, don't roll history, roll Arcana because of the situation you're in. It would be Arcana. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Click. Oh, now you know, blah. So those types of questions, that specific point on what you're trying to accomplish can help the game master and you uh, not only divine what skills and roles and minuses and pluses and all that crap you should apply to it, but also how to narrate it after it's done. So that's always handy. Yeah. You know, that's a very good point, Brad. It's almost like a, almost like a game style, like the style of play that you want to, you want to game in where some styles are. Okay. Acknowledge history role. What do I get from that result where what Brett's talking about is, okay, I want to know more. I want to know something about, you know, the history of this. I understand that. What are, what are you, what is the question? Oh, I want to, you know, know if this is related to the ancient tome of Necronomicon or whatever. Okay. Excellent. You know, roll blah. Then it comes through. So it's almost as like people going into a room and searching and say, well, I search. Well, why don't, why don't you tell me what you're actually doing? Like a lot of people don't tell us what they are actually doing. And if they don't want to tell you what they're doing, I have found to say, what are you trying to do? 
or not, yeah, not like, you know, what are you trying to achieve here? It's going to be some folks to be like, well, I don't, I don't want to tell you I'm looking at every drawer, flip the desk over, I gray hawk it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. What are you, what are you trying to look for? Because we've all been in that room looking for your missing car keys, which you can't find, but you find your spare wallet, that hat you lost and a pair of socks. You weren't looking for those things, but that's what you found. So what are you trying to accomplish while you're in here? And then the game master can help you figure out how close you get to being able to make that happen or not. I think you're right. It is a style thing and it's a, it's a handy style thing, I believe, because then when you're asking for something, the it's kind of, it's almost sourcing the table in a way where you get to look at them and say, I want to know if this has anything to do with, um, you, you, as a player, you've got a feeling it has something to do with this backstory piece that your character has, like your lost father, or, you know, the, the fact that your mother betrayed your uncle or something like, is this, I think this has something to do with my mom. I'm looking for any clues that would connect this to her. Oh, says the game master. That's a really fucking good idea. I'll make a note of that. Yes, it does have to do with your mother. You know, the players asking you specifically what they think would be fun to find out in this encounter. And sometimes, you know, you get you get a chance to give it to them, and sometimes you turn them down, and you just go from there. Yeah. All right. Chris Johnson comments. Oh, by the by, thank you, Tony Baker. That was good stuff, man. Um, to Chris Johnson comments uh, from our website about learning a new game topic. I've been listening to you guys for about six months now. Love the show. Keep doing what you do. I kind of had an epiphany as I listened to this particular episode. A while back, I've used some YouTube videos by a member of an online Facebook group I'm part of about how we players aren't, quote-unquote, entitled to to a GM. Um, the bottom line being, it's one thing to look for a game to play in and another thing to look for a game while also having a grocery list of demands and, or conditions for said game, and that if you want to play, run your own game. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, while I understand where these guys are coming from, it also struck a nerve in some respects. For me, running a game is not playing a game. Running is definitely not my strong suit, nor my preference. But listening to this episode, I was first struck by the comment another listener made in reference to the Cypher system episode on how taking away the GM's dice was, essentially, taking away his or her fun. The GM wanted to quote-unquote play too. Hmm. Some GMs consider running the game playing. Of course it's playing the game, but I never looked at it that way before. Later, as you two were discussing the main topic, it was I was again struck by something in a similar vein. Some people actually enjoyed reading the rules. I'm more in Sean's camp when it comes to learning games. <clears throat> I want to learn by playing the game, more so than learning by reading the rules. The rules don't sink in for me until I have in-game context to relate them to. Sure, I enjoy receiving a new rulebook or supplement, but tend to jump around picking and choosing what I will or won't read and saving the nitty-gritty details until I actually need them. Anyway, it was pretty lightning for me, and I'm looking forward to exploring the subject a bit more with other gamers I know to see where they're at on the spectrum. I also have a couple of questions for you. One, would you approach learning new games differently if you're playing online than you would introducing or learning new games face-to-face? Or and two, are there game systems you feel would be best learned in person? I'm especially interested in White Wolf games like Vampire or Werewolf. Thanks, guys. Hmm. Sean, what do you think? Just off the top of your head, um, are there... If you're going to learn a game that you're going to play online or face to face, would you take a different approach to it, or does it not matter to you? Um, it depends on the game. I always default to that because if a game is more, well, I don't know actually. Nowadays, with the tools that are available online, I think I could get into a tactical game and still be able to show people, you know. Because so I was going to say, depends on the game. So if I'm playing like a Pathfinder game that is more miniatures based and tactical, tactical. I would have to put one down and say, okay, here, let me teach you kind of combat. 
Here's what a, a, a what provokes an attack of opportunity. Here's what cover looks like. Here's if you are around a corner and you want to reach around and hit somebody and then how that's penalized or not. So that I would want to be face-to-face. But nowadays with virtual tabletops, I could probably do that with just tokens. So I don't – in that situation, I probably wouldn't need somebody – I wouldn't need to differentiate face-to-face versus virtual in how to explain on how to play a game. I think what I would um, – my difference there when it comes to online is how – what online tools are we using? Oh, it's a Hangout. It's uh, over Skype. It's uh, – Roll twenty is fancy ground is whatever. The first time I played Roll Twenty, I'm like, how the hell does this thing work? Um, I mean, the difference for me wasn't that I didn't know the rule system so much as I did not know how to engage the rule system with this interface. Right? Which which point and clicking do I do to make my token move around and add notes and do different things to the tabletop? That was a little bit different to me. So I guess for me, off the top of my head, the thing I differentiate between learning in person versus online is that I need to, the first thing is, is how how am I going to interface with the system and the other players through this uh, electronic medium that we're going to use? And the other component I have learned is that, and you are, when you are learning, and there's a bunch of people online, it is really, <laughs> if you've ever been on a conference call, you'll have two people go, why is it, why, why, well, hang on, okay, Sean, you go, okay, blah, blah, blah. And everybody talks and steps on top of each other, learning the decorum and, Okay, hang on, Sean, you go. You go. And waiting your turn. And then if you're using video chat and whatnot, watching for the visual cues that somebody's like raised their hand or they're looking very frustrated, say, hey, Brett, what you did you have something? I'm sorry, I think I stepped on you. That type of stuff helps people who are very face-to-face gamers because when you're in person, you can go, I just don't get this. And everyone at the table is going to hear you because their earphones aren't drowned out because, you know, Chris and I are having a really loud, giggly conversation about something funny that happened in the Dungeon World thing. And Sean's like, well, what the fuck just happened? No one, not not no one, but sometimes that can get lost in online versus face-to-face. So that's a thing I tend to be um, cautious of. The other question, though, are the game systems <clears throat> best learned in person? I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Interested in, I have to think about that. We, uh, Sean, I've been talking about doing a show about um, tabletop online a little bit more. I don't know. The only thing I could, the only thing I could think of, like going tying one and two together, um, would be Chris. If if you feel like you need to, sometimes when you're standing over somebody and you're like, no, see how this works, and this is related to this on your character sheet, and you can simply point to it. In you know, with a pencil, when the person's sitting there. Oh yes, may, the the in person click face <laughs> interface. Yeah, I mean, it just may be may just come down to that and say, hey, look. So instead of having it on, like, I think it goes back to what Brett was talking about, where maybe the electronic virtual tabletop technology gets in the way of doing that kind of communication, right? Where it's like if you pull up a character sheet on Roll Twenty me trying to get you to navigate that at the same time may be a little bit trickier than if you were just sitting right next to me. So I, I, I don't know, but I don't, wouldn't relate that to a particular game system. It's just how to teach somebody or to clarify something a little bit easier face to face. Yeah. Good point. So Chris, thank you very much for writing in. It's I'm glad you um, were struck by something pretty cool in the, uh, 
and then learning a new game system topics. That was pretty neat. So thank you very much for writing in. Um, well, I will we'll noodle on this a little bit more. We may turn this into a topic at some point, but uh, cool. Thanks for listening, man. Yeah, thanks everybody for writing in. We appreciate it. Keep them coming. Uh, definitely good fuel for everybody, even outside of us. We have many listeners that are like, I listen to the show and I listen to somebody that wrote in and they really gave me some something to think about. And it's not, so it's not just us. No, because we, we, we have run that well dry ages ago. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's get into main topic. All right, Brad, man. So a while back, Jim Fitzpatrick wrote in around, we were talking about player series stuff and the Rogues one in particular. And Jim said, I will reread this little snippet here. He says, I'm thinking about Rogues in particular for this, but it might be good for player series episodes in general. To pose some questions you can ask yourself as a player to help you get under the hood for that class. Um, one example of this in the thief case is the how do I react to danger? Are you inclined to deflect the blame on other people? Maybe you should put some points in charisma. Are you more inclined to pull a blade and exert your physical dominance? Bump up your strength, etc. I thought about that statement from Jim, and I thought, you know, there's there are things that I've seen my my groups do. I've done myself a little bit, kind of a bullet point topic of how when I think about a character I'm going to play, or I will I've asked the question of as a game master to players, and like this is the first time that your characters encountered this type of violence. What, what is, what does he want to do, Sean? And Sean may be like, well, um, uh, I, I don't know. I've never thought about what I would do in this first type of violent behavior. Uh, and sometimes at the moment you get some cool reactions and whatnot, but there are some questions we as players could ask ourselves about our characters kind of before, and especially for those of us who've played before. And if you haven't played before, um, it would be good for those of us who have to help those who haven't think about it in this way. It's, it's a, <laughs> I guess, uh, player to player character introspection moment, if you will. How do we do? How how do we feel? What do we do when things happen? You with me, Sean? Yeah. All right. So one thing I want to be clear is I'm not seeing this as we talk in our usual ramble and in circles and stuff. We may come around to find out I'm wrong. But my my initial cut at this is this is not like, you know, how are you bonded to each other? Sean, tell me about a time you saved Brett's life. Brett, tell me about a time that you and Ange were fighting the demon lord of Pelor and um you 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 know saved Eileen from the dreaded Tarasque or something like that. Not that dungeon worldy type of thing or how we're interconnected, but things about that you basically ask yourself about the character. You're sitting down making that character sheet. And I envision this, and I've seen people do this. As bullet point lists and sometimes just verbalizing things out loud or just running a list of things in their head. For me, at this point, if I don't make a list of it, I have problems because <laughs> uh, I'll forget something. But the other thing that I found very handy is even in on your 5e sheets where it talks about how you, you know, uh, the character sheet like saying, hey, what's, you know, what do you do when you walk? You know, how does your character, how does he feel about this? Um What's their, you know, their goals and, and so forth. Sometimes drives and things out of gumshoe. So anyway, you ready, Sean? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, man. So a couple things I thought of right off the top of my head. One of them coming right off of Jim uh, Fitzpatrick's note to us is, you know, how does this character act when they're in danger? If you're a fighter. I, pu- I, I punch danger in the face. I punch danger in the face. And this is one of those things, right? It's just, it's for you as a player 
to to just say, hey, this is how I this is how I do stuff, man. And whether or not it's something that you ever show the game master, or you show anybody else, just something to do. In a role playing game, danger is your middle name. It's going to come up all the freaking time. If you have made a character whose incre- your whole character goal is to be a pacifistic librarian who only is doing something just because they're drawn into this horrible thing and they're there to investigate and they don't like guns. They don't want to stab anybody. They don't want to ever get hurt. Um, But then when danger threatens and your character suddenly grabs a gun, pulls out and shoots somebody, it feels weird to you. And as the player and, Sometimes it's it's I have seen those moments where character, players have looked at me and like I don't like this character anymore. Why? Ah, he's just not turning out what I thought he would be. And I've had it happen in the past where people like, what do you mean he's not turning out the way you thought he would? Well, you know, I kind of built him as this pacifist, but he's just been like the frontline fighter for the past five sessions. Like, well, you never told me he was supposed to be a pacifist. What? He's clearly not a pacifist. He's got you know running in with you know a grenade in his grenade in each hand and a knife between his teeth. I mean, come on, man. So making a note of that stuff, and it gives you something to play off of when you're in danger and just kind of a, a reminder. Another one I find is um, a good question to ask yourself is around being terrified or scared. So if I'm playing a character and I'm like, you know what? This person is a fighter. To Sean's point, like, hey, fighter from fighter land punches a fu- evil in the fucking face. It's danger. Boom. I punch it. What happens if he's ever terrified? Has he never been terrified before? And you say, I don't know. I've never been scared. That's a legitimate That's a legitimate answer. Again, it's just you answering this stuff for yourself. But thinking about what happens, because at some point, if Sean's a good game master, and I'm playing this unflappable, never worried, some mage, cleric, demon, devil is going to cast fear on me or something and go, right, you're scared. What? Sorry, you failed your role. You're terrified. What do you do? There are some game systems, Brett, that you can't be scared. Like what? D&D. You can't be scared. Yes, you can. <laughs> Pathfinder. Well, yeah, I guess if somebody casts fear on you, but... No, dra- uh, how many there's people- dragon fear. There's all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah, I suppose. You got to kind of throw that at the player character and yeah. make the player be, you know, portray fear. But it's not... You don't make up a character saying, hey, I'm afraid of something. No, no, player characters are afraid of anything. Well, well, that's, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> When's the last time you had a player character, a player say, my character is afraid of this? And don't, yeah, your, your group probably. I'm going to say Kevin. <laughs> that's, Kevin will tell me to my face because he's terrified of this. They'll tell me that. God, God damn it. Your group doesn't count. All right. Now, that said, though. When um, I've talked to uh, when I talk to people at conventions and stuff, some of the the cool characters that they've had are like, oh, this person has like a bizarre. They're afraid of giant spiders because that one time he almost died, or whatever. It sometimes it's just fun, but it's there, which is good. I applaud that. Yeah. So while we're talking about these things, Sean, any questions hit your mind? I've got some notes in here, just different ones I I came up with. But any that you come, anything that comes to your mind. As far as like posing to a player, player, yeah, like as a when you're making your character, do you have any questions that you that you bring out of your head and say, "Oh, I want to figure out." I've made this person, you know, she's a dwarven blacksmith, rain, you know, from the Iron Hills, and she's blah blah blah. Do you think of anything past that, or or what? 
Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> you can, that's, that's I think answer. you gotta, I mean, this is, this is coming up with a character concept. Yes. This is what Bre- this is the nuts and bolts of bringing up a character concept when you are kind of like at a loss of how to bring up what a character concept is and you don't want to move maybe you don't want to use like a movie or TV character to model it. And you can and then just manipulate it. But one of the things may be what motivates your character. Like what what do you want more than anything? So if you're faced with it you're going to want it like it could be a greedy, greedy thing, right? So maybe you want to just be money rich. Maybe it's something you want to you want to find love because your character is a, a hopeless romantic, um, and that just something there, one thing, just something where it's like gets them out of bed. Maybe it's adventuring or whatever. Maybe it's they they want to retire. Anything. Because then what happens is that'll kind of, that'll shape the character a little bit. It'll give you some, give the GM some fuel to go towards too. Um, so you talked about fear. The reason I'm bringing these up, Sean, is because I'm trying to think, I mean, sometimes when I'm stumped, when I'm stymied, yeah, I look at it and say, okay, what's going to happen to me in this game? Right. We're playing, right. we're playing this game. So. What happens? Like, oh, I want to play a paladin. All right, what the hell am I going to do when I have an easy kill, right? When I come upon orc babies right, in the dungeon. What happens when somebody else wants to murder somebody? What's my reaction? How do I deal with that thing? And again, these are things that we as experienced gamers, we can think about pretty easily. What, what would you do if this happened? Well, you know, Bytor would never do that. You know, he would totally do this other thing. And, you know, Theodric the Mighty would never harm an innocent but so as, those are yeah, those are morality questions. Exactly. But these are sometimes the questions like what do you do when um, you know, again, how do you react to things? And sometimes it's based on your your morality. Well, I'm you know, you can drag alignment into it whatever you want. But um, you know, there are times when, you know, what do you do when you see a friend in need? Is your character one of those people that's like, "Oh, these player characters, the rest of the PCs, they're all my buddies." And uh, yeah, I'll do whatever they need. I you know I'll loan money to them anytime they need it. You know we we got individual treasure. The thief needs some money. Yeah, here's ten gold. Go off and get yourself something a little scamp. You know, are, are you that kind of guy, or do you not like? Does your character not operate like that? Now, some of these things though, Brett, mm-hmm. are going to come through play. So I think what you could feasibly do as a game master or even a player is that you could write these things down or you can keep them in the back of your mind. And then when those situations occur, you can, you can move forward with them. Yes. Right. You could say, Hey, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a frightful guy or I get flustered when I'm around opposite gender or something along those lines, which may then it, then your character becomes, it grows as it, it starts the game and goes up different levels and encounters different situations, you know, um, I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you one of the things that I have found is that I've had players that have built, they've gone through and they've made a really cool character and they have the original concept written down. They've answered, you know, what do I do when I'm in danger? What if I do if I'm terrified, see an easy kill, got a friend in need, someone uh, needs my help, be it friend, foe or whatever. Will I ever leave someone helpless? What kind of challenges do I seek? Um, those types of questions, which we were like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Brett. Yeah, Brett. What happens though, is that it will change or they will see a need within gameplay 
or for some reason, the character will, will change and not behave that way anymore or have a reason to potentially not behave that way anymore. And the player will look at their character sheet and say, I can't do that because it goes against my character. And these questions, this type of, you know, kind of introspection, or as, as you said, I love that idea of just coming up with kind of a list of things that you pretty damn sure are going to happen to you. And at the spur of the moment, you can say, well, I, I guess uh, Throndor the Mighty is a complete coward when it comes to dragons, runs away from dragons, terrified of him he is. Even before the dragon fear hit him, he ran. Um, and, and what happens when he finds danger? He runs headlong. He's a crazy motherfucker. That's just what he does. Great. However, things change through play, and sometimes we'll have something occur, and the players will look at me and say, I can't do that. I have to do this because that's my character. I don't have any choice. And sometimes doing these types of introspection things and character building can can put some people in the box, or they think they're kind of concrete walled in with razor wire on top, like, I can't get out of this thing, right? I've got to be here in order to do... Um, in, in order to be my character, I have to act this way. And when you see these, we've got these things jotted down. When you've encountered something, you're like, you know what? This is the moment when I was forced to do this thing that changes how I view danger. You know, my character was a, a bit of a coward. But at this point, I have decided that, you know, these characters were all, the rest of my party was in danger. I was the only one with a gun. I shot the evil priest in the head. Wow, that was a life changer. You can, in making note of the thing that changed your outlook and how you do things, those become character growth moments. And again, it changes how you how you act and what you do. And when someone says, well, I didn't think your character was that way, you can say, well, remember five sessions ago, man, <laughs> when I had to shoot that priest in the head? Yeah, I'm a little wonky from that. I'm a little more gung-ho, live every day to the last. And again, by documenting that stuff, and I hate to give people homework, but However you can document it, it's just memory or whatever, but being able to keep that stuff handy lets you know that, hey, I answered a question a certain way, and then it broke it because during play, it developed a different way. Does that make sense, Sean? It does. It is going to life-altering events that impact a character's psyche, whatever that may be, and it allowing them to change their their where what their stance was, their view was, so... Yeah, the 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 great paladin that was super tough and awesome and willing to step in the face of danger all the time. Um yeah, you're great until that dragon ripped your buddy apart right next to you and now you're like shaken to the core and now you don't have that same courage that you once had before. You're broken. Maybe you're even turning into, you know, something that to compensate for it like booze. Or you're always drunk after that fact, right? Because you can't handle the trauma that you, you're, maybe it was your family that was mauled by the dragon. And now you're like, man, I was tough and brave when I was all with the troops. And now I come home and the dragon mauled my, my wife or my husband in front of me. And now I'm like, you know, shell shocked, man. And it's, you're not the same anymore. And that's just a whole nother thing is then it's like maybe a story of Paladin's redemption of, you know, finding it's his or her courage again. So I think the other, to go back to, I love that. I really do like that because I think doing that stuff gives us reasons why things have changed because the character should not be the same character unless they're Batman, right? Where they're always Batman, no matter what the fuck happens. They're iconic. Well, see, they're iconic. They're always Batman. 
I think that one of the biggest shortcomings in, in many role-playing games and even some players, not all, but some, is that we're afraid to be weak and vulnerable playing a hero fantasy or or some other game. I mean, it could be fiction, science fiction, whatever it is. We always want to be the baddest ass, toughest ass, whatever that is. Not always, but many times, right? That's kind of how we play. It's exciting. It's fun. I get to do stuff, you know, outside of who I am normally, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Otherwise, hey, I'd play recruiter guy every day and it would be really boring <laughs> and suck ass. And I wouldn't want to play because it doesn't allow me to escape worth a shit, right? Exactly. I go to work, be, be recruiter guy, I get to go home and play recruiter guy. I'm really good at it, but I fucking hate my life now. This sucks. <laughs> like, so, you know, you ask yourself, well, what's the goddamn point? Right? And I forget if I'm supposed to drink on my real job or on my role-playing job. I can't remember anymore, right. so just always drinking. <laughs> yeah. So, But at the same time, some of these things, you know, and here's the deal, game masters and dungeon masters is if you've got players that are willing to go that route and say, yeah, I was a paladin, I'm king shit, and I'm tough, and then something traumatic happens to them and they lose that courage um, and the ability to look fear in the face and punch it, don't don't manipulate the shit out of it to the point of like squashing that or you know approaching it in a manner that's going to be you know, you're every time. So now that you're just going to keep throwing things in front of that person so that they're always afraid and running, you know, maybe it's a particular thing, don't, but I, I guess when I, it, don't abuse it, don't abuse it. That's exactly it, Brett. Don't, don't over abuse it. Make it as kind of a cool character driven character building kind of mechanic. Ah, mechanics, a bad word, but the background piece. So I think let it's awesome when you can let the player characters just kind of be and let them run the way they may just grow as a character would instead of having to be Batman all the damn time. I agree. That makes sense. I'll tell you, I want to go back to Jim Fitzpatrick's original thing. There is, we was talking about, I mean, he brought up around the rogues and, um, you know, how does a rogue react to danger? Um, blame other people and so forth. When you take it, when you're playing a character class, um, and again, we we um, we talked about this earlier on. You know, Tony Baker's games with no classes, so kind of put that on the side for now, or even just think archetype, right? If you're a decker, a hacker, a wizard type person, a street mage, a half orc, whatever, um, and you look at your class, you're a fighter, you're a thief, you're a bard, you're an investigator. Um, <clears throat> what what kind of is the stereotype of that thing? What does that person get up to every time they go out on the adventure they have, they have things happen to them your character is a you know anthropologist what do they do when they find the once in a lifetime fossil the once in a lifetime find what happens when they stumble across that thing what about their professional curiosity um if they're a librarian think about that character what happens if they come into a room and um all the books are torn and burned does that bother them on some visceral level? If you're a thief, your rogue is that person who hates being hurt um, but likes picking fights. So does he always hang out near the barbarian because 
that's what the halfling wants to do with the gnome thief is always like poke, 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 poke. Hey, guess what? Here's my friend Thag. And Thag beats the shit out of the other guys for him. Is it a master blaster relationship thing going? Right. Um, what does your cleric do when they're bothered by people for healing that don't share their faith? What's their reaction to that stuff? Thinking about those quite thinking about those things, asking that of yourself and other character. I love Sean's idea of come up with a bunch of questions that you think you'd ask yourself. Like, Hey, I'm a fighter. What happens when I'm in danger? Do I charge recklessly? You know what? I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I kind of have a think kind of a vision in my head of what she'll do when I'm in danger. You know what? What do I do when I'm in danger? Maybe make yourself that little side note on the index card. If uh, Phil ever lets the uh, gates open and we can buy index cards again. Um, or any of those things uh, on a sheet of paper, back of the character sheet, wherever. And when it happens, go, wow, I guess I'm a crazy ass son of a bitch. I will charge goblins at a moment's notice. Apparently that's what I do. And it becomes a thing that just helps you again. Remember how your character is operating, what they're doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm hit. I'm harping a little bit on that. Remember, this is what they do simply because unless you're, um, well, if you're like me anyway, you don't always get a chance to play every week. Sometimes it's every other week. And if you actually have a job, a wife, a kids, husband, significant other, family, you get shit going on. Sometimes every other week, a fuckload can happen between game sessions. You sit down, you go, who am I playing again? Because you've been playing a bunch. You're like, oh, yeah, this is the Traveler game. I'm the Ensign. Um, wow. Okay. Neat. Um. And having that stuff down, like, oh, this is how this spy reacts when he's in danger. This is what she does when um, she has an easy kill. She's an assassin. What does she do? Does she always go for the go for the kill whenever somebody's down? What does she do in those cases? Having that stuff down there helps you maintain a level of consistency as a player, which then, for me as a game master, when I have players playing their character consistently, or at least reasons why they're not being consistent, why they're changing, to Sean's earlier points, that helps me build stories that are more real and more fun and uh, makes the world come, come more alive to me. Totally went yeah, off on a tangent there. Sorry. And a lot of this, a lot of this may come through with somebody that comes up with a background right, or their character background, character concepts. So some of the things we're talking about, some people inherently do that when they create their own character, they may frame it differently. They may, they may some uh, summarize it differently but we are kind of tackling it more head on question for question situation and scenario by scenario. Um, so take it for what it's worth and use it how you may want. I mean, one idea would be is if you're a game master, you could simply say, okay, what classes is everybody playing? If it's a class system um, and you could just pose those things. And, and, oh, fighter. Great. How, like Brett says, how do you react in the face of danger? I rush in all the time. Right. So when when that uh, scenario presents itself and the fighter isn't going to or you pose that situation to the fighter and they kind of go, well, I don't know about that. You could always say, well, hey, remember, you you run into the face of danger. Now, it doesn't mean that the player always has to do that by any means. Right. The player character. But maybe then the player character will want to convey to everybody why they don't want to. Like, cause then some of the player characters can even understand that and say, wait a minute, I thought you were a big, bad, tough person. And I thought you go in there and rush and you're kind of our combat person. And we get strength from you because you're the one that runs in without any fear. What's going on? Well, 
then they can convey some story of why they don't do that in this particular situation, which just adds a whole different plot point and different character interaction. Same with the thief or the the wizard or whatever the case is. You know, I thought the wizard was always looking for something magical. And this is their, their big chance to find that one magical item. But you don't want to go and find it? I don't understand. Well, maybe something's changed or, you know, something's driving them differently. So it's it's things you can come up with or, or however you frame it up. I like it. That's good, man. Yeah. We cover it pretty good. I think we did. It's it's goofy because when I first thought about this from Jim, I'm like, well, there's I could probably come up with a list of specific questions that would be really cool. And I'm like, God, I I mean, it's fun to be prescriptive in a way, but the other component is it's almost teach a player to fish in a way, in that if you've got a character class, if you're playing a class system, say, what does this alchemist usually run into? What do they do? What happens when they have that eureka moment they come up with something? What happens when the the doctor does this? Think about those components. Even if you don't answer them right away. Write the question itself down. So when it does come up in play, you say, well, you don't feel like you've betrayed yourself. Well, I had this idea that this, you know, that this doctor was going to be the one to really nonviolent, blah, blah, blah. But hey, guess what? In this nice black agents game, I shot four ghouls in the head. So, yeah, I guess I'm a murderous little son of a gun. I guess that's just what she does. So, hmm, what do I do with this? Well, you write down that, hey, when struck, when, you know, in danger, we'll react violently to preserve her own life. That's the thing. And you may not have known that's what you wanted to do, but then the situation presented itself. The story's rolling in that way. You're like, yep, I'm going to do this because it fits the game. One of the ways to do, one of the reasons I really like what you said, Sean, is because it leaves blanks, kind of a dungeon worldly thing, right? You draw a map, it leaves blanks. You have some character questions, some you can answer up front. If you leave some blanks, it allows you to fill those in as you're playing to make sure that your character is continuing to fit the story. And after two, three sessions in, a lot of those questions should have some, should be pretty easy to answer. And um, it's not a guarantee, but you're in a much better space for that character to actually fit the rest of, with the rest of the party and fit the adventures and everything else that's going on in front of them. So I like that. I think that's a really good approach. Yeah, and as you continue to do it, or your player character continues to follow that kind of... um stipulation, whatever, then what may occur is you could gain a reputation for that. And then that can play directly into NPCs that the game master is wanting to play, or maybe it's stories or tales of the paladin always rushes in, blah, blah, blah. And then when they meet this paladin, they're like, oh my God, you are the paladin that always rushes into fear. I heard you are the fearless paladin. It's it's so great to meet you. Um, and then maybe there was that one time that that Paladin didn't do it for some reason, and that got back to somebody, and they're like, well, wait a minute. I heard about this one situation where he was a coward, and then it's like, what? Tell me tell me it's not true, and then it's a whole other dynamic that can go on uh, in a whole other direction. But anyways, some good stuff to let us know if you pose these things towards player characters or player characters, you know, take these in and kind of make players them of their own. Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody out there may very well, a guy like Jim may have a list of things that he asks himself every time he makes a character, it helps make your background, it helps make you have those five, six, 10, 1500 bullet points, whatever the hell it is you have that lets that character come alive to you. That's what we're trying to get to here. And like I said, the idea of leaving Sean's idea of leaving blanks and being a filament is just awesome. 
And, uh, you know, I like, I love being able to write stuff down for refocus purposes. And then it also helps to, you know, consistent behavior, focus. And when it changes, you, um, get to note down when and what happened to make a change. So cool stuff. Shall we go on? All right. Yeah. Let's get into die roll. All right. Die roll. Okay, I got one I came across. I don't even know how I came across this thing. It's called Cyclops.io. I posted it on Google+. It is a, I think it's an open platform. At least that's what it says. You can actually host the eight people. It's a video conference web interface platform. So think Google Hangouts. But the thing is, you don't have to have an account. You literally go there. You have to use Chrome, I believe. And you can do screen sharing. But literally, you go in, you start. And it automatically, dynamically puts you into a room. Essentially, that's the URL. And then you share that URL with seven other people. That's it. They click on that URL and it asks for access to your camera and your mic. And that's it. You got eight people in a conference room and then you can share screen. And I mean, it is, I don't know, it, it is slick. Like if you got people that are like, well, I don't know, I don't have a Roll20 account or I don't know how to, you know, it's just or I got to have Skype. This thing is, it's in its beta still, but so far Brett and I are using it for the podcast right now, just looking at each other. Um, and it seems to work fairly decent and sound quality. I have seem, no complaints. The sound quality seemed pretty good too. So we'll see. Yep. We'll see what we do. with Yeah. That. So I thought, wow, this would be great for gaming, uh, for folks that don't want a Google account or don't want to, you know, get a roll 20 account or whatever it is, but it's just keep in mind. It's, Really made for video conferencing, but yeah, it's pretty slick. Hey, if, if there's one thing we've learned over the years, office supplies of any sort will be will be reused for gaming supplies. That's right. <laughs> Just, that's what happens. So I came up short this week, so I'm going to grab onto some listener stuff. Um, I.e., I got behind and I didn't put, put any up there because I'm a dumbass. Anyway, David Wynn says, Dave says, I thought you'd appreciate this for your die roll. It's an LLC that buys blood donated to blood drives from people 25 and younger and then sells that blood to people 35 and older as part of a quote-unquote science experiment. Sounds like vampires to me. <laughs> we got a link in the show notes. Wow. <laughs> it's an uh, anti-aging thing, I, I think. I, I love this. <laughs> this is... Yeah. This, yeah, I don't know. That's like reality is so, so fucking strange sometimes. It is, man. <laughs> wow. Uh, Kevin Lovecraft pointed out a uh, one-page dungeon, Temple of the Moon Priest, from Beholder's Pie slash uh, Will Doyle's blog. So we've got a link in the show notes to that, too. If Kevin so says his, big comment, oh, sorry. his big comment on that one was like the 3D dungeon that came along with that. Yes, so. it's really cool looking. Generally speaking, if, if, um, if Kevin thinks it's cool, it's generally pretty fucking cool. Yeah, we, we, we could trust him. I could totally trust him. I end up right. Trust that it's cool. I can trust it's cool because if it's not, I'll just blame Kevin. He rarely string. He rarely uh, sends me in the wrong direction. Uh, Brian Kurtzinger uh, lets us know about a Canadian village that is one. What is this? Ten thousand years older than the pyramids. Yeah. What? That's what it says. Well, have to, when I meet Stefan Dragonspawn and any other Canadians at Origins, I'll have to be a lot more. Just tells you that the Damn. aliens came to Canada before they went to the Middle East. Which is why they were so polite to everybody. Makes sense. But that very well could be. Uh, Pure Mongrel posts a link to the Mind Slash Shift article, Books to Games, Transforming Classic Novels into Role-Playing Adventures. So 
Uh, check that out. It'll give you some food for thought for turning those classic novels into role-playing adventures. I almost equated this to Sanctum Secorum podcast. Yes, it does. It does remind me. That also reminds me of the uh, uh, Stealing Cthulhu book I have. That's right. Um, yeah, this is that's good stuff. You know, there is there is a trick to it. Sanctum Secorum does a great job helping line that type of stuff out. And I've talked about Stealing Cthulhu as well. That does a really good job. It, there's yeah, a, there's just, definitely a trick to it. You, stealing it whole cloth, like line for line, uh, shot for shot remake, not so good. But uh, if you do it right, it's pretty fucking cool. So if you're not familiar with Sanctum Secorum, Jen Brinkman and Bob Brinkman, um, Dave Beatty was on it. He's no longer on it. But they, and I think there's one other host that replaced Dave. They, they read a bunch of books and they kind of talk about uh, how they may relate to or inspire uh, your role-playing game. Yep. DCC in particular is their bent, but it's all good yes. stuff. Yep. Oh, last one. Christopher Gray points us uh, to 16 of the greatest, sprayest Scottish insults of all time, which just makes me really super happy. Yeah, he kind of he says this is for all the dwarf players out there. But <laughs> I haven't looked at him. I uh, I know a couple Scottish folks, but I never got into the sixteen sweariest Scottish insults of all time from them. So these, these are these are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is wow. That one's woo. This is stuff I might use in person, but never on a podcast. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes so you can take that and we won't even be that explicit on our own explicit podcast. <laughs> Otherwise, cool. I think that it is that wraps it up. Uh wraps it up for this episode, but uh Game Hole Con, which we mentioned at the top of the hour events, uh VIG registration is probably come and gone while you listen to this. But nonetheless, that doesn't prevent you from going. Um it's November, uh the first weekend of November. Uh, here in Madison, Wisconsin. So make sure you go to gameholecon.com, register, or just put your name in there so you can get email, news alerts, uh, create an account. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, and then when you want to register for a badge or events, you can go in there. Their event registration is pretty slick. You can actually view events, which they're going to have. They'll release the events for everybody to view. You can put them in a wish list and a cart. It actually populates a calendar so you can see what slots are overlapping so you don't double book yourself. And then when it's time for that to be open, you just click purchase and everything going smoothly. You get all the events that you put in your cart ahead of time. Um, so it makes it really slick. You're going to have True Dungeon there. Alex mentioned last week on the show 40-plus guests of honor from the industry, industry guests, um, some local, some uh, coming from other countries to say Ed Greenwood's coming from Canada. Um, so be there. We're probably going to have what, three to 4,000 attendees this year. And we're going to be there. We're going to have free beer, free beer yeah. on Saturday, free as in beer on Saturday night. It's good. We did yeah. it. La- we did it last year. It was a huge hit. As in, everybody likes free beer. So, yeah. We're not, it's not like we're trying to buy friends and listeners, but we're kind of trying to buy friends and listeners. So, yeah, this, hey, yeah. it, it works. <laughs> That's what it takes. Uh, next week, Brett, what are we talking about? Next week, I want to talk about pre-gen characters versus roll your own. Reason being is we'll be coming back from Origins. I've got some pre-gens I'm uh, 
wrapping up for the game. I'm going to be running there. Um, it's off books and, and whatnot. But I'm kind of I've got some thoughts around pre-gens and and all that stuff. Not only just from the uh, convention view, but also at the uh, regular home table. So talk about that. Excellent, excellent. Brett staying on top of the topics. Got stuff for Brett going every week here at Gaming NBS. We thank you for tuning in, and we thank you for all your feedback. We thank you for all your be. You know, we haven't had a we haven't had anybody call BS on us for a while, Brett. Not for a while, I think they're just they're just, laying, they're just laying in wait. That's what's happening now that you've a, now that you've summoned them. They're going to come out of the woodwork and just hammer takes, us. Takes a while for a boil a pot of water to come to a big boil. It does. <laughs> What happens? Well, we'll like there'll be like a drive-by, you know, book slam at, at Game Hole. We we'll walking down the aisle, and someone will jump us and beat us with a player's handbook or something. Be a table flip. God damn it! I I can't take it anymore. I got it right into these assholes and set the record straight. Which is the danger of having a booth at Game Hole Con for us, because we're easy prey at that point. Yeah, no ducking anybody there. Hard to do it. All right. Well, for another episode of Gaming EBS, I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest DeGary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humfleet, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongro, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brassett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Ray Otis, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Rodrigo Beowulf, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Evan Harrison Cass, Chris Steele, Eric Hoffman, Jared Rasher, and Stefan Dragonspawn. Whew! For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the entire show for a month. Head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.